When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hello everyone, it's David here with your weekly episode of Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to join us, especially as it was one of those games where you don't feel like getting your head out from under the covers for a few days after it. Joining me to discuss Rangers 1-1 draw with Hearts, what it says about our season so far, and to look ahead to Thursday night's Europa League tie with Brondi, crucial Europa League tie with Brondi, is Andy McGowan. Andy, the Sage of Solcoats, how are you? <laughs> I'm very good, David. Hello, listeners. Yeah, I'm a bit better now because uh, there is very, very, or there are very few things in life that are more uh, deflating than conceding a last-minute goal in a game that you absolutely categorically should have been up the road in 20 minutes earlier. And that's what happened Saturday. So I'm sure most of our listeners are aware or, or will have seen the game. Rangers Hearts uh, on Saturday afternoon. I, I must admit, I thought in the first half, Rangers' best performance of the season so far. I thought Rangers were aggressive, they were controlled, they were hunting the ball down, they were winning it back, and they were threatening. Um, had a 1-0 lead at half-time, deserved a great goal by John Lundstrom. Could have, probably should have been at least another one or two up. Second half started flatly, and I don't think Rangers ever really got back the intensity that they had in the first half. But with that said, having watched you know the game back, I felt that we were still in control. Hearts weren't making chances really up until about the last 15, and Rangers still were, and missed several glorious chances. And sure as fate, 90th minute, uh, concede a set piece. It comes across, Alan McGregor makes a, a rare error, and there at the back post was Halkett to nod home, and Hearts managed to, to get away with a share of the point. Lots to discuss, Andy. Um of course, you know, the, the thin line between success and failure, but that's football, and especially at Rangers. Had Rangers taken one of those chances, including the one I'm sure everybody is, is thinking about, which is the, the guilt-edged open goal, really, that Alfredo Morelos misses uh, with a few minutes to go, then we're probably sitting here today going, that was a really good performance and, you know, much more like it and getting back on track. But we didn't, and we're not. No, and that's it. And uh, as we know, at Rangers, it's... Uh... It's a tough kick, you know, the, the support don't tend to, uh, how can I put this, without offending every single Rangers fan in the planet. Um, we tend to lose balance sometimes when, we, when, we, when we're when on the end of something like that, when we have a last What do you say right outside you? <laughs> and I'm not saying that I set myself apart, but I do, I do say that two or three days later I can kind of collect a semblance of perspective but uh, I mean the, the final whistle on, on Saturday I was the same I was like you know I, I wouldn't say we saw it coming because I thought we were going to hold out but to do that in the same manner as a Motherwell game very very unusual and uh, since then I've, I've watched the game again 
I've kind of scrutinised it a wee bit. I, I'm, I'm a wee bit relaxed about things because I think, as, as you say, they, they be that first 45 minutes. We've been harking on about last season. Where, where's the intensity? Where, where's everything from last season that we're doing well? So what we were doing well last year is we had a really aggressive press and our, our football in and around the box was exquisite. You know, and that's been missing this season. We've seen it in tiny glimpses, but the full 45 on Saturday had both of them, and Hearts get very, very lucky. Um, and I think the other thing that's been levelled up at Rangers since Saturday has been, we need to do this for 90 minutes. Well, actually we don't, because nine times, in fact, 99 times out of 100, you have a 45 minutes like that, the game's done, and you just manage the game. Because I don't think it's possible for teams to play like that for 90 minutes. So Hearts get lucky is, is my, my summation of the first 45 minutes. They were lucky to be alive at half-time. Second half's a different question altogether, David. I'm sure we're going to speak about it. Because mm. we can't take this in isolation. It, great, you know, the first 45 minutes, absolutely. But there have been 45 minutes throughout this season, various 45 minutes. First half against Motherwell, a game you mentioned, was, was terrific. Second half against Hibs was terrific. But we haven't played a full 90, I think, all season. Maybe Celtic, maybe. Um, but that was more a backs to the wall, you know, half the team injured type performance, which was great, you know, and, and you need those. But it wasn't Rangers at our fluent quality best. But I don't think we've seen the team play a full a full 90. And, and, and right from the start of the second half, you could see it, the first five minutes, you could see that we just weren't snapping into things the way we had in the first half. Uh, that leads to concerns, of course, about, you know, is that a mentality thing? Is it a fitness thing, Andy? Is, is, is it not being able to replicate it for a full 90 minutes? Uh, I think your fitness has been very good over the piece, but last year was the, the, the kind of, you know, that'll never be beaten, right? And I, and I think, uh, not just for fitness, but in every aspect, it's going to be very, very hard, if at all possible, to replicate most of the things we were doing last year and our big strength last year was getting a goal and if you scored first we were winning last season there was no, no really any question about it and what we're doing now is we're losing some goals that we just were not losing I mean you look at even Malmo and, and uh, you know like, uh, Ross County was a really good example of losing goals up there that we should never have lost and, and that is I don't think that's doing to fitness Dave I think that's doing to um, intensity focus desire, things like that, the things that get you over the line. Um, so I don't think it's fitness. I think I don't think we're as fit as we were last year. I know that's a contradiction, but last year we had the greatest ever pre-season. You've seen it for, for the friendlies before the season started. They just had so, so much time to work and, and a, a kind of clear diary to get things ready and get them a peak physical condition. No being the case this year, because if you've had the Euros, there was always going to be a hangover for last season in terms of the physical exertion we've put into it. We're missing key players. We've probably not had the squad that we want, although we've still got an exceptionally good squad. The availability for key players has been um, minimised. You know, Kent's been playing where, really, he shouldn't have been playing. We found that out after the Celtic game. Ryan Jack's been a miss. Arfield's not really been there for wee niggles and, and, and illnesses. So I don't, I don't really think it's fitness, David. I think it's down to expecting to do what we did last year in terms of defensive stability. But the bottom line is we need to score goals. We need to score the second goal. We've only we've only won by more than one goal this season twice, and that was opening day against Livingston, wasn't it? And then up at Ross County. And that that this far into the season is a quite a telling statistic, I think. It's um and then we've got the Fairland for all you pedants out there, I know that the League Cup. But really, we should be scoring more goals for, for for a team that's set up as we are. We've spoken about it before. A front three, front four, whatever way you want to put it. Brimming with talent, we should be scoring loads more goals. Well, on that, and this was asked to the manager after the, the after the match at the weekend. Rangers have played um, nine matches in the Premier League so far, fifteen goals. Now, to put that in context, that's the same as Hearts that we played at the weekend. Um, that's the key issue because although we can point to defence, the defence is conceding more goals than it did last season and more than we would like them to, absolutely. But we're not leaking goals. Seven and nine games domestically. Not great, but equally not as a yeah, losing two and threes every, every week or every two games. So Rangers should be able to concede occasionally and still win. 
And at the moment, it seems like we aren't. Um, 15 goals in, in nine matches. And when you when you take away the fact that we did get four at Ross County, that leaves you with and, and you know three in the first day of the season. Well, there's nearly half your goals in two matches, which means in the other seven, you've come up with uh, eight, eight goals. And that's that's the problem. It's that simple. And it's not even a lack of chances. I think you, that sometimes when you look at that kind of statistic, you say, well, it's the whole team. And that is fair because everybody needs to chip in with a goal. We know that, absolutely. But its I, I'd argue on Saturday the midfield was the one area of the pitch that did work. I thought Lundstrom, and I think most people would agree, was, was the best player in the part. I thought Kamara, certainly for the first hour, was terrific. Uh, I thought Aribo, um, you know, w- w- was dangerous. It was up front. And of course, on Saturday, that really fell on Alfredo Morelos, who had a horror of a match in front of goal and he had seven opportunities and didn't hit the target with one of them and his shooting was miles off. Um, it, it is October and there does come a point when I understand fans' frustration because you can use the, and this is not just at him, Ruth's master sitter, by the way, at the end as well, one you would expect him to score. But at the at this stage of the season, I'm not sure how long we can keep going. Well, they didn't have a preseason. Well, they didn't have that. No, we know they didn't, right? And that's a shame. But here we are, and we need more than we're getting from the front players. At the moment, you, they're all decent players, right? Buzzed about well for an hour. I thought Hadji worked hard, but at the moment, you don't look at any of our front three sinking into that game. Going, he's going to get a double the day. He's going to, you know, they're not giving you that confidence. No, you're 100 percent correct, and. Um... Morelos, I'll, I'll go straight to Morelos, right, because he's obviously the, the, the focus from Saturday because he's misses and rightly so. However, and again, I'm going for it with the, the Planets Rangers fans. We see with Tavernier, we've seen it with Goldson, we see it with Morelos now, that as soon as they have a, a bad game or have a couple of bad games or make a mistake, then, you know, drop them, bring somebody else in. Morelos is utterly integral to the way we play and when we don't have him playing, um, we are a different team and not for the better and I thought he, he is off the boil by comparison to, to previous seasons not just last season and last uh, and Saturday was a real you know it was an aberration for him in terms of chances missed and, and the, the types of chances he missed because I thought I thought the caught back for who was it was it Ruth that caught him back and maybe I can't remember but I caught back to the byline and he, and he just sclaffed it I thought that I was just as bad as the one he missed at the end because usually you know he dispatches that but he, he, I, I knew my Gerard kept him on because it was a physical game. I mean, hearts were rough and tumble. Although they played some good football, they were quite a physical team and, and Suter and, and Halkett are strong and we needed that physical presence to hold the ball up. Now, it wasn't doing that either, really. Nine times out of ten, the ball was bouncing that was away. bouncing off him, yeah. And, and, and that was half our problem because we couldn't get up the park. Um, but I think it's, even in his poor season, I think it's an outlier. I don't think that he plays as bad as that often. I don't think he misses any chances. I go back to what I said earlier, the hearts get lucky. They get lucky. A number of things went right for them. And and Morelis had a poor, poor game. I'd start him without question on Thursday. I'd start him on Sunday at St Mirren, Morelis. Um, and I think he'll come all right because strikers will have games like that. Um, and I, I think we don't need... Let's just not lose our shit over Morelis. Right? I don't think... Because I don't think Sakala's ready. We've seen Sakala and he, and he seems quite raw for a guy at 24, 25. And I don't think he's ready to step into his shoes. And I think we'd be yearning for Morelis back for a number of th- things. But I, I totally agree with what you're saying, David, about the front three. Right and Hadji. And I spoke about Hadji on the... It was a post-match. I, I spat at Prague. I, 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 was, I was pretty harsh on him. He's still not a killer. And I know no, he's he contributes. Not. He still contributes as a wee bit of a... He's a ghost. You know, he comes in, he scores goals. scores important goals. And uh, he does good things and he does work really, really hard. I cannot fault that. However, his pace isn't there. I'm sorry to say that. I'll keep saying it. His pace isn't there and it's going to hinder his career, never mind his Rangers career. And there's been, there was a couple of chances. There was one in the first half. He cut in after some beautiful play and he cut in at the edge of the box. Could have taken another touch or two and just slotted it into the net. But he kind of snapped at it and, and it, at the end it was a pretty weak shot. Wright's the same. 
kind of flatters to deceive, does some good things, but once you get to the, the kind of business end, I don't want to say chokes, but he's no get a tremendous shot or a tremendous finish. They need to do more because when you've got a front three set up as we have, the three need to contribute. They, they, they will be who we live or die by. And, and Sardar is a perfect example. So, you know, let's get Kent back. I think there'll be, there'll be no more, uh, you know, people doubting the quality Kent brings and what he actually does. I'd quite like to see Sakala get a shot, even for the last 20 minutes. And Roof, for me, Roof has to start. I know he didn't start Saturday because he'd been in Jamaica, which is really frustrating. But I think Roof off of Morelis gives us two bona fide goal scorers. And Roof, as his record speaks for itself, is, um, he's a finisher. I think he's the best finisher we've got after Defoe. Um, so I, I, I like to see him incorporated into front three whenever fit. There's a couple of things that you brought up that I mentioned, so uh, I just took a note to make sure I don't forget any of them because you, you know what it's like when you start hearing stuff like that and I can go off and froth in about six different directions. So I'll try and, try and keep to each point. And the first one is you mentioned Kent. Absolutely, because what Kent does is drag us up the park quickly. Even when he's not at his best, he drags us up the park quickly. What Kent does is mean that teams can't come as far. And it's another question about why we allowed Hearts to... To, to come forward as much as they did in terms of us sitting back, we sat far too deep towards the end. I get human nature and whatnot, but Arts were able to do that confidently because of a reason you touched on, there was no pace in the Rangers attack at all by the end, and Hearts knew this. So, under normal circumstances, the likes of Suter, Halkett, etc., their midfield, they see Kent there loitering, and they go, hmm, somebody's, a couple of us in fact, have got to hang back here and it pulls you out the park Kent is absolutely vital even when he's not at his best he keeps going as well Kent that's the thing about him is even if he hasn't had a successful run in the game in the 83rd minute he still wants the ball and he still wants to go and try it never hides and we missed that badly at the weekend the second point about the striking options this I think became and has become clear at the moment that we don't have a lot of options in the goal scoring department we've got Morelos and Roof um, and Morelos hasn't been at his best. The manager said afterwards, uh, he admitted that. And Roof, there's always been issues with him, be it injury or whatever, coming in and out of the team. He's not somebody you can bank on, unfortunately. I wish we could, but so far in his Rangers career, he's not somebody we can bank on to be available every week. I do, I said at the time, and I wonder about it, that I thought letting it and go without somebody coming in seemed strange to me. And I thought Saturday was a great example of that. And look, I'm not going to sit here and kid on and say that Cedric Hitton, you know, is is a top goal scorer yet or whatever. But he he could have come on and contributed, if nothing else, as an out ball because he can hold the ball up. And as you said, yeah. it was bouncing off Alfie. Um, the other thing was was t- you touched on, and it moves into something in the second half, and a lot of fans picked up on this. And this is not hindsight because you know I said it, Martin and I were sitting talking about it at the game. Um, Twitter, my, my chat groups, a lot of people said this. The substitutions towards the end, and Martin asked the manager afterwards, were the substitutions made with conserving the lead in mind? And what the manager said was, well, look, Bakuna we put on to try and add that bit of quality to get the goal. And to be fair, Bakuna has put two, through two yeah. through balls that should have been the end of the game. He, he did what he was put And you can criticise his, if you like, his, some of his defensive play, that would be I, I think that would be valid because he still needs to learn. He looks a bit dozy at times, um, and the, he's not up to pace with Scottish football when it gets frantic. But even in among that, he has produced two balls that should have been the end of the game. And yep. so, fair enough, right? I don't have a huge problem with that. The other two substitutions, obviously, were brought. The players were brought on to try and. I think, see the game out instead of the game. And the manager actually spoke about why he took Aribo off. And he said, because at the Barry Mackay chance, he's ghosted past Joe, who can't put a tackle in because he's on a yellow. Right? Again, fair enough. But it got me thinking, last season, we would have had another two subs. Yes. And I think you would have seen Patterson, and I think you would have seen Sakala to bring you that, that pace that we didn't have at the end when it became clear that we needed an out ball. And I think that there's no point moaning about it because it is what it is. Football has been three subs for years. I'm just saying it was something that we used very well last year that we aren't can't use this year. And I think it is a factor. 
And secondly, the big complaint I think from fans was Morelos staying on because your point earlier is spot on when you talk about um, normally if he's not at his best in terms of goal scoring. And that's as bad as he's been, by the way, in terms of goal scoring in a long, long time. He doesn't play like that every week. You're correct to say that. Normally you'd expect him even not at his best to tuck one of them away. Look at Hibs a couple of weeks back, right? However, it wasn't sticking with him. And we needed something up there to go and do that. And I think that was why people were surprised he came off ahead of, say, uh, uh, he stayed on ahead of Hadji or Wright. Neither of whom uh, were brilliant players, don't get me wrong, but equally, it did seem a bit odd because we did keep hitting the ball to Alfie and it kept bouncing back and it just kept bouncing back. Um, and I think that those were frustrations that, I go back to this, you know, it's a cliche, but the thin line, if Alfie tucks that sitter in at the back post at 2-0, the manager's vindicated, but he didn't and he's not. And this is why I go back to saying Hearts were really lucky because their chances don't normally all get missed. Um, And and I totally agree with the Cedric Atten thing because he was the closest we had to a like-for-like for Morelos in terms of, you know, exactly what we're talking about on Saturday, whereas Morelos kind of kick his in arsehole. So what do you do? You want somebody that can bring on, play centrally, hold the ball up. Really, Sakala's only... I mean, Sakala's looked all right holding the ball, but he's no, it doesn't seem ready to be relied upon. I mean, he still looks to me as if he needs to be nursed into being a Rangers player, which is understandable. So loads of things there you've got bang on, Davey. Um, the substitution, I commented on Twitter, and uh, I, yes, I am back in Twitter, folks. And my, my ego kind of stands having a thousand followers, so please follow me. Please search and follow me. But the, I, I don't think it's Bakuna himself is a problem. Because as you say, he came on. And what I've seen of Bakuna so far is he's not going to be a Kent or a right and gets the ball in and strips somebody for pace and nope. whips the ball in. He's a thoughtful player, looks very, very silky and, and most of I think his danger comes from his passing ability as opposed to anything else and, he, and as you say he came on and it was kind of forgotten in the melee after the game on Saturday that he actually created two fantastic chances with brilliant passes but what also happened with him was that that intensity of press that I was talking about earlier on that right gave us and, and Hadji to be fair to him gave us also it totally evaporated doing it our left hand side and their right hand side and the boy Smith went as wide as you like um, uh, and moved up and, and it just kept coming and coming and coming and Kamara was getting dragged out for the middle to the to the wide which he's usually good at right but it was giving us problems and we weren't getting that break so you can you can have, you can kind of give that up give up that territory on a pitch and draw them out if you've got the ability to hurt them on the break because you will find the, the space they're giving up you can take advantage of but Bakuna wasn't that kind of player for me so the, the first substitution, I thought that kind of tipped the balance. We were 20 minutes still to go. It was a long mm-hmm. time. It tipped the balance. And then the, the two other substitutions, I, I didn't agree with Rebo, but when I had seen the press conference and, and Gerard, that's why he's a manager and we were sitting in the stand, David, is that, you know, the, the year I cared was quite right because I thought Robertson was, I thought he was equally honking to both teams in some of his decisions, but uh, I can see why he did that there because it's a liability. But what it did in the last 10 minutes is Lundstrom kind of disappeared because I, I think even so early in his career, we can see that him and Davis are far, far too similar. And Lundstrom is exquisitely good when he's played as a number uh, four and he's allowed to dictate play and move from 18-yard box to 18-yard box and link everything up. And I think that stopped at that point because Davis, I mean, you know, we kind of lined up 10 yards further back than we had been and we weren't moving out as quick. So the substitutions, it's, it's easy, Davey, in hindsight to say all oh, the substitutions and the rest of it, and you would have done things differently in hindsight. And I would have liked to have seen pace. We, our bench is, um, should be seen as kill teams in the last 20 minutes, not see as wilt, is the phrase I use on Twitter. And I thought Sakala was the option. I thought I think you could play him le- left. The way uh, they were coming now, Sakala could have come on. If nothing else, just yeah. that can't kind think of keeping Attack them honest. Yeah. Attack the space. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And and again, look, it is a thin a thin line between success and failure. If we get the second goal, then nobody's really talking about the substitutions. Nobody's really, t- you know that. But that's football, and it certainly is football at Rangers. Um, just just a very disappointing display. There's been a lot of talk about the. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about 
the central defence this season. Understandably so, because we all know the script with injuries and suspensions and whatnot, and COVID and whatnot, it's changed constantly, and that's never good. At the weekend, I feel we need to talk about the fullbacks, and this this is a tough one. Firstly, I, I don't think Bourne has played well this season, really. Um, some moments of quality, Hibs delivers an absolute worldie of a ball um, for the winner. But overall, I don't think he's at his best. And I don't think that's unfair. Tav is not playing well. He really isn't. And this is a tough one to talk about because with certain supporters, there are certain supporters who have completely and utterly made their mind up um, about Tav and are polarised on it. And never the twain shall meet, as as they say. Uh, and for those of us who are maybe you know, in the middle, there, there are, there's a section of our support who just have never and will never at this stage take them. And it doesn't matter what he does, that they are looking for a mistake. And they'll always, you know, there's some talk about it's his fault for the goal on, on Saturday because he leaves his man at the back post. It's McGregor's fault for the goal, right? Anything else after that is just an additional thing. Could he have maybe done a wee bit better? Possibly. Does he have a thing of leaving guys at the back post? Yes. Why aren't we putting men on the posts? But, um, you know, McGregor is the one to look at that. And I'm certainly, by the way, not going to go at McGregor. He's enough credit in the bank. Even Saturday, um, he proves that. It's a very rare error from... But he's not playing well. He's not getting forward with any great effect. He's not driving the team on the way he can. But you get these camps, and there's one that, oh, we should get rid and Parsons should play every week. And then you get the other camp who, you know, admire Tab, but because of, I think, camp one, they get too protective of them, <laughs> which is understandable and laudable, right? It, it really is. But they are, you can never, ever criticise Tab in their eyes. And I get that, they're protective of them. Whereas I think the truth lies in the middle. Camp one, uh, uh, to me, no, you can't do that. You can't dismiss everything that the guy does. Are there weaknesses in his game? Yes. There always have been, there always will be, absolutely. But to constantly ignore the good things he's done and focus on that, I don't agree with. Equally, the people who focus on the good thing in his games and will not hear of any of the weaknesses in his game, I don't think that's that's particularly accurate either. To me, Tav, when he's at his best, he's first name in the team sheet. It's not even close but he's not his best. And the problem that we have is that for most positions on the pitch, we need to get more at Morelos. We need to get Kent in the team, regardless of how you know they're really playing. You've got to try and get them back to form by hook or by crook. There is an option with Tav, a very, very good option. You don't even really have it at left back. You know, Bassi is not Nathan Parson. And that's the problem. And that's why this debate, whatever you want to call it, is going to rage on even, or, or rather, up until Tav is delivering the way he can. Yeah. So it's a good problem to have. Um, personally, I don't. I can't remember what was camp one, camp two. I think I'm camp two. Is that a good camp? That, that's the <laughs> that's the don't criticize. There's the camp that criticise them for you know the fact that they ran out of pies in the yeah yeah is, is camp one. Camp two camp two is you know nothing is ever to be thrown in his direction. And look, these are the extremities. These aren't yeah. the majority. Most people are somewhere in the middle. But of course, social media etc. It's camps one and two that are usually the loudest. I'm camp one point seven five. But so the the goal. All right, you can say he left his man, but see if, if McGregor doesn't get that ball and, and Tavernier's glued to his man, you'd be saying Tavernier's not attacking the ball because what he was doing was manoeuvring himself for the flight of the ball to header it away if, if McGregor didn't beat it. So in that split second, I don't I don't really blame because if your goalkeeper makes a mistake like that, all bets are off. That's Absolutely. the bottom line. That's my take on so, it as well. Goalkeeper aye, should be aware. If he goes where, we'll know, you know, we'll know. Of course, it. secondary. Um, in terms of his form and Patterson, I don't. I don't think there's a, a decision to be made there just yet. I, I really don't. For two reasons, I like to see. I would like to see Parson um, bled in as Gerard is doing just now. So if we have, I don't want to say lesser games, but you're playing teams, you know, that you can maybe rotate a wee bit more than you could normally. I can see Parson playing um, because I don't want to get too far ahead with this boy. I really don't, because we did this with Ross McCrory. I remember coming to his pod when I first started with you, David, and we were talking about Ross mm-hmm. McCrory, 
I think it may be. I got overexcited. Yes, mm-hmm. and it's and, and and you're an acceptable guy. So we did this with him and future Scotland camp, future Rangers camp, and sky's the limit, all the rest of it. Now I think Parson's the best prospect we've had for years, right? And he's obviously uh, playing for Scotland and contributing. He's been at Euros, which is exceptional at his age for a player that's no first choice at his club. But by the same token, I think there's a, an element of protection which we need to we need to apply if we're going to learn from past. Because I don't, he's not quite ready, you know. If you might play him 48, 50 games a season, he's going to have stinkers. And the folk that are slagging Tavernier for having a poor or a substandard game will have to apply the same kind of rationality to that, even though he's a boy. You're either ready or no, you don't get a free pass because you're a younger player. So I'd, I quite like to see him bled in as we're doing just now. Um, and Tavernier himself, he's subpar, but I don't think he's like honking, you know. I don't think him and Barisic are, are to the point where you're like, we need to drop them. I think they're just no playing as well as they could. But by the same token, last season, there were a couple of machines. And Barisic, to go back to the pre-season chat we had, Barisic basically didn't have a look in at Euro 2020 because he was carrying niggling injuries. I don't even think he was training with Croatia at points. And That's he's right, yeah. he's never really came in and did it this season and except in flashes. But I did go on record as saying I'd prefer to have him in the Mbassi for the big games like the Celtic game because it doesn't matter how fit you are, you can still deliver a ball. And all it takes is for him to do that once or twice in a game and, you, and it'll win you the game. It's quality over you know exuberance and, and, and legs. So I don't think we're at a point where we throw the baby out of the bathwater with A2 and say, right, let's get Parson in full-time, abandon Tavernier, because you can't. I, don't think, I just don't think you can. I think it's, it's, it's uh, far, far too early to say that that's his stage of career. No way. Um, but if in January you get an offer for Tavernier, you're in a better position now to do the unthinkable. Because last year, if you said, right, sell Tavernier, you're like, no way. But everybody's got a shelf life. Everybody, you know... Sometimes things surprise you in football. If we get that kind of offer for Tavernier, where you get a wee, a wee bit of money back, he gets the last big move of his career, and we've got the Parson to come in, then that, that might work for all parties. That's just a hypothetical thing I'm throwing in there. But Barisic, Bassett is not ready to play every game for us. But we just isn't he? Um, I like him. I he's got a lot of attributes. Physically, he's a specimen. Uh, fitness-wise, he's great. Strength-wise, he's great. Quality-wise, he's no there yet. And I think to go for Barisic to, to Bassey full-time would be a major drop-off and I'd regret if we went down that, that route. So um, that may not sit well with some folks. I think Bassey has, has benefited from that, that same blind optimism that Parson has when you, we get a young player through. He's either the best thing for slice bread for six months and then he's shite. <laughs> or else, you know, we don't see enough of them and they're just perennially brilliant in, in our minds. So um, I, I'm... I, I think your question's valid, David, but I think it's too early because are they costing these games? No. Are they contributing going forward? Not as much. Um, are they still the two best fullbacks we've got? I'd say yes, the two question. The two centre-halves um, are doing okay, but what really, really worries me is if we get one injury to either of those, Yes. I think we've got a major problem. I think Goldson gets the same treatment as Tavernier that you're talking about there, David. As soon as he makes a mistake, even a minor mistake, the, the, all the barbs come back out. People that 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 then come after the Hamilton game, for example, a couple of seasons ago. All that nonsense comes out. Goldson's is integral to your defences. Morales is to your attack. Um, but what I don't like is I don't think Jack Simpson's ready to pay, play 10, 15, 20 games for us. Um, and that's a worry to me. And and as we've seen in Prague, Bassi's no the answer. It's not fair to ask Bassi to play there yet. No. No, he's not. He's, I mean, I agree with you that he's not quite ready to be our first choice left back. He's certainly no. not ready to be our, our first choice no, centre back. No. Positionally, he was all over the place. Yeah. One wee thing I want to throw in, David, just in case we miss it before we go off the game. See, with Balligan. So, him and Goldson are obviously a threat at corner kicks, and, and, and these are they've been quite fruitful for us in the past. See that one that Gordon made the triple save? Yes. Remember in the first half? I was watching the highlights again on Rangers TV. I implore anybody to go back and see if they agree with me that it was a penalty, because if you Rangers TV has actually got an ability to slow it down at half speed. That's how technical I am, David. Well done. Suter has got his shot from the edge of the penalty box to almost the goal line the whole way. I think it's a penalty, um, and I might be such clutching at straws there, but it's not been mentioned. I've not seen it anywhere since Saturday. It was a penalty. No, no, no. For me. 
I must admit I didn't notice, but I'll, I'll go back and, and have another look at that. Um, one last thing, just before we move on. Now, this is going to happen because of his age. That any time Alan McGregor makes a mistake, you'll hear people say, is it time to start moving on? That's an age thing. It happens to all older players. It, it's just a fact. And I don't agree with it, um, incidentally. If he's making one every week, we need to talk, but he hasn't been. However, Andrew, you know I'm an old-fashioned gentleman. I grew up when Rangers played 4-4-2, big man, wee man up front, one winger, one right-sided midfielder. That's how Rangers should play. I, I don't care about your 4-3-3s <laughs> and your 3-4-3s and any of this shite. But no, all joking aside, one of the things that, though, I did, you know, get told, I suppose, growing up by people within football, you know, your Sunnises and Walters and whatnot, is you don't change your goalkeeper unless you have to. Mm-hmm. Is that a thing? Is that an issue? Uh, I've alluded to that in previous pods. Uh, the, the, the switching about the goalkeepers isn't a, it's not a natural thing, I don't think. And and I've not really seen any good come from it when I've seen it at other clubs. Um. I like McLaughlin. I think I think he's actually far better with the ball at his feet and his distribution. And 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 sadly, distribution is a question. I know why McGregor slowed things down second half, but there was opportunities there. And and he's been super competent for us. Um, is he as good as McGregor? No. Um, but to answer your question, because players uh, get older, do you need to rotate them? They know the medical details better than we do, Davey. So we don't know if, if McGregor's carrying me knocks here or there and we're keeping them for the European games or the bigger league games. Um, and certainly there's no reason not to play McLaughlin if that's the case because he's a totally able deputy. But I'm a, I'm a great believer in you play players as often as possible, you know, without compromising them physically. I think that's the way I would put it. And with McGregor, does he do a lot for us? You know, he he's, he makes great saves, but it's not as if he's a he's not in the thirteen kilometres every game at some players. He's no putting in challenges and physical knocks and stuff like that. So it's a different it's a different consideration for a goalkeeper than an outfield player for me. I don't really want to see the players get uh, the goalkeepers get rotated. That's the god's honest truth. I, I'd prefer to see McGregor in there every time he's fit. Um, the, the the mistake on Saturday is nothing to me. I mean, we're old enough, Davey. Remember Andy Gorham throwing man in the net at Pataudry, remember? Yes, yes. And, and, and at that point, we were saying everybody he's the best goalkeeper in the world. So just as Morelis had an aberration Saturday, that was an aberration for McGregor. And uh, a touch wood here. <laughs> Long for wood. You'll, you'll probably wait a long time to see the same again film. I, I hope so, and I think so, because nobody will be more annoyed than him. Um, I, I can just imagine him picking up the phone immediately after the game, phoning Sasa Papach and shouting at him. Um, <laughs> Natural, natural reaction there from Alan. But yeah, uh, agreed. Now, moving on then, Andy, we obviously have a big match coming up on Thursday against Broadby. It's must win. I was going to say, you know, sometimes you get must win, sometimes you get must not lose. This is must win. I, I don't think we've any chance of coming out of the group, even with one point from this. I think we have absolutely categorically got to get a victory here. Yeah, I totally agree. I, th- I think, I mean, it was always, when we looked at the group, I think we were opt- being too optimistic to think we could top it. Um, and we were, I, I personally underestimated Leon. I think it was foolish of me in the first instance to think, you know, you might, you might top this and get into that, the last 16 straight away, is it? There was a bye kind of scenario, wasn't there? Mm. And uh, so realistically, we're always playing for second here and we need to beat Bronby home and away, I think. I think to, so too. To, to, to progress. I think they're the Having what I've seen at Sparta Prague is as bad as we were. Uh, I think Braun Bear probably should be better than them, and that's your main rivals for that second spot. So, major, major game. Um, I, I think Saturday, as bad as the result was, I think the team and the manager should be taking confidence from it. Um, we are a good team in Europe, although this season that's not really been the case. We, should, we have a bit of credit in the bank there, so we should be going there with confidence. I think these are our natural peers. When we talk about Champions League, Conference, Europa, I think we're at the level we should be just now. That's, that's my God's honest opinion. I think that playing teams like Bronby, Sparta, that's the level we're at, if we're being really, really honest. Um, and and, and budget-wise, that's our peers. 
and going forward, I think that's always going to be the case unless something remarkable happens. So we really need to be winning these games. Um, it's interesting to see who, who sets up. Um, the midfield, as you say, played really well on Saturday. I want to see Aribo in the front three. I want to see him doing what he does best in the, in the last third. Um, but who do you bring in for the midfield? That's the thing, because Davis and Lundstrom, as I said, isn't quite... I, I can't see the two of them playing together. And, and you can't mm-hmm. move Davis out to the right. He's, he's, he's not got the likes for that anymore. Yeah, it just doesn't... So, no, I, I, I totally agree on that. I, I don't think that Kamara or Lundstrom did anything to suggest they shouldn't be in the side. Not uh, at all. At the weekend, uh, uh, on Thursday, rather. But... Um, you know, we do have a game obviously Sunday, and it's a big game. We've, we've got to win that. So uh, it's, it's, there's some selection dilemmas ahead for the manager. Just before then, we we finish up. We'll move to to off the pitch matters. And last week, Rangers released uh, the 150th anniversary kit, the fourth kit from uh, Castor. It's modelled on the famous 1876 photograph, the white kit, uh, the white rowing kit, actually. Um, again, uh, as I'm sure you will have known people, because a lot of people complaining that it wasn't uh, like for like in terms of having the blue star on it. Uh, that kit was never a Rangers kit. It was never worn by Rangers uh, in a in a match. It was a, a rowing kit they borrowed for the photograph. Um, but it's still an iconic image in Rangers history, so I don't think there was anything wrong with basing a kit off it. And the reaction from, from most people, I think, was incredibly positive. Uh, it's selling very well. The club announced late last week, and most people I know like it. Some don't, but that's human nature. You know, that, that's going to happen. Um, I think after that lilac atrocity, um, <laughs> I suppose my expectations were, weren't high, so I, I was very happy with it. But Rangers released a, a promotional video for it, I found very moving actually. It was um, the Rangers fan Drew McIntyre, who's a WWE wrestler, provided the narration for it and didn't think anything of it really. The four lads had a dream of piano version of that playing in the background. And then, you know, nothing untoward happened. And then the next day, within about 20 minutes of each other, uh, Jeanette Finlay of the Celtic Supporters Trust uh, tweeted that. This was Rangers were using the famine song. A BBC journalist uh, from the BBC's, well, BBC Scotland journalist from the Nine show tweeted an agreement of this. Michael Stewart uh, piled in behind that. And then Nil by Mouth released a statement, all of them saying this, is, this song is a famine song and it's racist and why are Rangers using it? And of course, we're immediately and utterly battered down, not only, I have to say, by Rangers fans, but by non-Rangers fans saying this is ridiculous, this is manufactured outrage, um, why do we keep doing this? Rangers fans sing this song every week, there's nothing but a positive message in it, this is just ludicrous, right? Great. But again, it was the coordination of it that was so obvious. You know, 24 hours, nothing at all, all of a sudden they all go as one within... 20 minutes of each other, Andy. Mm-hmm. The the really disheartening thing is that this is not something they've seen that caused offence. This is them sitting together saying, we need to find something to have a go at Rangers about, right, we'll try this. And this was such a reach for them that it was instantly and utterly laughable and people pointed this out to them, which is why it's gone quiet, incidentally. It's why you didn't hear it get pushed any further because they, they basically went, ah, we made a mistake with that. We don't we don't want to go any further on it. Again, let's go back to, to the starting point in this. For people who don't think that there's an agenda, <clears throat> it was Jeanette Finlay, IRA supporting um, Celtic Supporters Trust member who started this. And that's where it got picked up from. It wasn't picked up from, trust me, they knew what the role was next. That surely should be a red flag to anybody who purports to be neutral. Majorly sinister. Any normal society, this would be... Well, it has been laughed at, but we're living in a kind of post-Trump world now where people know, you know, it, it, it matters more to see it than actually what it means. And even if it doesn't get traction, it's still worth seeing because it's out there. And uh, and then the other side of that is that some people know that they can say whatever they like and there's no repercussions professionally 
or any other, you know, nothing happens to them. And, and, and particularly in Scotland, let's not get too political, Davey, because I know it sometimes boils over, but SNP are a master of that. They've learned from their Irish counterparts and they play that playbook to a T. And Michael Stewart coming out with that and, and trying to, you know, perpetuate something that is just so preposterous and laughable and, and to any sane, sane person that actually has the insight to anything remotely close to Rangers, it's just bonkers. <clears throat> and the fact that, you, as you say, as Janet led, Finlay's kind of led the, the, the charge with it, the fact that somebody that has, you know, questionable uh, opinions in the past, and everybody's, opinion, everybody's entitled to their opinion, but by the same token, you need to look at our body evidence that's behind her and say, right, is this the person that we should be listening to in terms of that thorny topic, which is sectarianism in Scotland and Scottish football? Um, it, it, I, 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 I couldn't believe what I was reading. I really asked, like, you're joking. Is this, is this where we're at? It actually does mere damage because you're never, ever going to get engagement with the people that they're trying to speak to. So we do have a minority of idiots like any major football club that has a support of our size, you are going to carry loonies and you're going to have folk that just don't get it and, and do things that they don't they shouldn't be doing. But this 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 injures that debate because you're never going to sit down at the table and debate it now because you're going to say, well why and then why why should we even go close to this when this is the level of um intellect that's applied? You know, people give credence to Michael Stewart. People give credence to nil by mouth. I think they're funded by the government. They get grants. So why on earth should we engage with this when this is the the kind of the rules of play? Um, the, the 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 last thing I'll say about it is right. We had a problem with the famine song. I don't know, twelve years ago, something like that. Yeah. I didn't like it then. I don't like it now. I thought it was needless. It was ignorant. It was um, totally contrary to, to the, the the true Irish history. You know, uh, if we want to get down to brass tacks, the, the famine affected people on our side of the fence, so to speak, as, as well as the, the Irish Catholic side. So nobody has a dominance or a you know on the Irish famine. But we we repaired that song by creating the song Four Lads Had a Dream, which is an exceptionally beautiful football song, which as you say, David, is quite emotional when you hear it. And uh, it means something. It means something to me. It means something to Rangers fans that listen to it and are listening to this podcast today. And for it to be you know, trashed and, tr- and 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 conflated with the famine song tells a story. They're trying to destroy us. They, they, they just don't want us in Scotland because we stand for something that likes a Michael Stewart doesn't want in Scotland. And and you can you can take this debate further, David, about political aims and everything else. That that is the underlying unspoken truth. Uh, and this is just another wee poke at it. I, I'm disgusted with it. I'm, I'm, and I'm I'm disgusted at BBC Scotland because I. I I've been watching the the complaint scenario with Michael Stewart. It's a guy that's employed by BBC Scotland to commentate supposedly impartially in Rangers. And how can that be? He can't compartmentalise that kind of hatred of Rangers and then go in Scots, nearly said Scots sports, sports scene this Saturday or Sunday <laughs> and uh, talk about Rangers with objectivity. It's, no, not, it's not possible. Totally agree. And, you know, it, it's... Here's something though that that people have have kind of said to me in the past about what we need to do and whatnot. What we need to do is what we did with us, which is just stand collectively together and say no. Uh, the way that you know, and the club did as well when they just club immediately started tweeted out, you know, four lads of the dream lyrics all day. What you do is, if you keep running away from them, then that gives them the space to operate. And whereas if you just stand firm and say no, no, we're not taking this then there's nowhere for them to go. And that's when they start having to do ridiculous things like this and complaining to each other because we as a support won't take it. Now, you're right about it going out into the, the mainstream, but again, I think there's always this thing with Rangers fans who say, but, you know, this great neutral mass that we've got to get to, it doesn't exist. In Scotland, there's people who love Rangers, people who hate Rangers, and then there's people who don't give a toss. That's it. Uh, and the people who love us, love us, and the people who hate us, hate us. And that's, they're the only ones that are involved. The rest just think it's, it's football nonsense. Yeah. The, the issue with people like this, I feel, is that, as you say, they're so blinded by their hatred 
of of us, and it is their hatred of us that they use to they, they invent things about us to justify that hatred, so that they can believe that they're liberal, so that they can believe that they're still very right on. And the level of courage of these people. A few weeks ago, John Daily Record, gave Michael Stewart on Twitter publicly challenged me to a debate and uh, when I said yes like his heroes he ran away so uh, you know that's that's a kind of level they don't want to be challenged in the debate because they know they know that they're going to lose because they, they're not coming from a logical a logical position on it but you and I sat in a meeting with Nil by Mouth 15 years ago when we were at the Trust and they said you need to change your songbook so here's an example of Rangers having changed their songbook oh it's still no good enough and that's it. If we keep running, they'll keep chasing. Nothing will ever be enough. You can't appease hatred. You have to stand up to it. And I think that's what we did at the weekend. And that's what we'll continue to do. Now, does that lead to a better society? Probably not. No, it doesn't. It, it doesn't lead to a lack, an end of division. But what can we do about it? it, it we're not interested in that, uh, in, in division but equally if you've got people who are just resolutely out against you all you can do is stand firm and stand firm as a group and i think that's what we need to do right folks that will do us for heart and hand this week uh, you can always hear more from us over on our patreon it's patreon.com forward slash heart and hand uh, just 199 per month still and you'll be able to get up to five shows every day on all things rangers my thanks to andy for what's been i i've thoroughly enjoyed this discussion andy thank you Thanks for having me on, David. Always a pleasure. We'll be back uh, on Friday this week to review the Bronby game and look ahead to St Mirren. So until then, enjoy your week and let's hope for three points in the Europa League on Thursday. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Podcast Network. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24 7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.